0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC this week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC this week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe.
1: Hey Jonathan, how's it going?
0: Good, welcome back.
1: Thank you. Back in town. Back yes. Back in town, back, 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 in back town. at the office.
0: Back after it. And uh hey, and you know what next week is, Amy? What? It's the most wonderful time of the year for you.
1: It is. Next Thursday, I will a capital have the 4th a capital 4th. Yes. Um, two two important things happen next Thursday. One is I will always watch a capital 4th on PBS and at some point during the day for anyone who will listen, I will read aloud the Declaration of Independence.
0: Yes. And we will tweet that out Amy reading the Declaration of Independence.
1: That's right. Because That's it's right. We online. do. A, there's a recording, yeah.
0: Yes, there's a recording and uh, 2019 capital 4th and you know who's back to host this year?
1: Who's hosting? I haven't looked. Who is it?
0: John Stamos is back as the host. Nice, this
1: year. nice. I like, I like it because he usually always is doing something with the Beach Boys. Typically,
0: yeah, I don't see them on the list. Okay, Maybe I'm just missing them. Headlining this year, Amy, your favorite, Carol King.
1: Yes, I love her. I love her tapestries. My favorite album of all time. So really, yes, it is. So it's going to be very, very good. And that is a long-standing tradition of mine going back to when my children were very small and I couldn't go anywhere because they needed to go to bed. So I would just watch a Capital Fourth on television. And uh, super fun. Even one time staying in D.C. in a hotel a couple of blocks away from the mall, but it was too late to have them out and it was really hot outside. So we went on in and we actually watched a Capital Fourth. We would see them on TV and then two beats later we would hear the sound. So, yeah, so have have always watched it. It'll be a lot of fun.
0: So that's coming up next week. We'll still have a show on the 5th, which could include, Amy, a new president of Lifeway.
1: I bet it will.
0: It's it's likely. I think so. Because we got a name. And last week, we recorded the show. Then the name came out between us recording and me getting it online because work took precedent. And... So that that all happens. If you caught the end of last week's show, you're like, well, wait a minute. I read about that like a little while ago. So we'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a little bit. But before we get to that, we do want to thank our sponsor here on SBC this week, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary located in Louisville, Kentucky. They are committed to training future pastors, missionaries, and gospel leaders. You can learn more about undergraduate, graduate, and doctoral degree programs by visiting sbts.edu. Is there any truth to the rumor that they are now sponsored by Geico up there? Did you oh, see Dr. Mulder's tweets? Yeah,
1: I saw that tweet. That was kind of funny. That, that was pretty cool.
0: We'll have to link to that in the show. It was pretty hilarious. Uh, a little off-brand for Dr. Mulder, but funny nonetheless. He's really, got a good uh, sense of humor. I, he does. He does. It doesn't come into sneaky. the Twitter uh, yes,
1: it's sneaky. stuff very much. Yeah, but he's got a great sense so, of humor.
0: But yes, yeah, so big news of the week. Ben Mandrell, the pastor at Storyline Fellowship Arvada, Colorado, is the nominee to be the 10th president of Lifeway Christian Resources.
1: Yeah, so like you said, this dropped after we had recorded, and so he will be recommended to the full trustee board by the Presidential Search Committee, and that will happen on Friday, June 28th. So we're we're recording this on the 27th, so that will be Tomorrow, so very big day for Lifeway, and of course we anticipate that that will be a great meeting. So even after we've recorded this, the announcement could drop that Lifeway has a new CEO. So we'll just wait to see how that all goes. But it seems like it's going to be a great meeting.
0: Yeah, and this show will be out in early on the Friday morning, so you'll be able to catch it before that. So because I'm headed down to Atlanta,
1: yes, so for that meeting,
0: editing and dropping this late on Thursday night, early Friday morning. And, uh, so we'll, we'll get that out and I'll be there. We'll be covering it. And so if you're listening to this early Friday morning and it hadn't happened yet, check out our coverage of that event on our Twitter and Facebook page for SBC this week and even Instagram. So we'll do some live stuff, maybe even, uh, drag Aaron Earls onto a live video stream or something on our way down tomorrow. So that nice. may be a little fun.
1: I'm looking forward to that because I'll just watch <laughs> it along with everyone else.
0: Yes. Uh, so that'll be fun. So yeah, congratulations to Ben. Uh, for those of you not familiar with him, he's a pastor out in Colorado, planted Storyline Fellowship 2014, and it has grown from 250 people to more than 1600 in weekly worship attendance. They had 2,800 this past year for Easter, Amy. 2,800 wow. in Denver in a church plant. That's Just pretty an amazing, stunning. amazing uh, ministry out there. He went to Colorado from Englewood Baptist over in the Jackson, Tennessee area. So sure. coming back to Tennessee possibly here. He was the pastor there and also served as the treasurer of the Pastors Conference in 2010.
1: Oh, okay. I don't think I so ever caught that. Went and I found didn't, that. one. I wasn't at the 2010 meeting, I don't believe. So so that would have
0: been Kevin Ezel's uh year as the Pastors right. Conference president. Yes. And that was uh, Ben as the Treasurer and Jimmy Scroggins was the vice president that year. Nice. So that was the year they did the big push on adoption. I don't know if you remember that or not.
1: I so I wasn't. Uh, so I was live streaming it back home in Nashville. Had just gotten there working for LifeWay, and I was in the office. I don't know how much I got to to catch of the pastors' conference itself. So
0: so we await the outcome of that meeting here on Friday, June twenty eighth, down in Atlanta. So uh, once again, keep tuned to our social media channels for breaking news and information on that all right amy we have a couple of legal updates to bring this week not going to play the law and order music this time yeah but, this is a tough uh, one so let's not yeah very very difficult uh, lawsuit brought against southwestern and its former president Paige patterson last week and alleging that a jane roe Uh, which is a a pseudonym, was forcibly raped at gunpoint on at least three occasions from October 2014 through April 2015. And Roe alleges neither Patterson nor Southwestern sought to protect her when she reported her abuse. Instead, the suit claims that Patterson in particular uh, intimidated Roe and disparaged her. The lawsuit claims Southwestern had no system in place to prevent and address the sexual assault of students. Uh, Southwestern has responded to that the uh, the new president Dr. Adam W. Greenway uh, responded with a statement to Baptist Press in which he said quote while we cannot address issues in ongoing litigation it is important that the Southwestern Seminary community know that we take these matters seriously and are committed to our campus being a safe place for the vulnerable and for survivors of abuse.
1: This is obviously a very difficult story, and I would say uh, that in some places there are links to see the actual lawsuit itself, which was unsealed, so it is public record I would recommend that people understand that there are some very difficult details in that. So if they choose to go and read it, they just need to be aware. Um, it's about 34 pages and very, very tough to read. And I think just reminds us how serious these issues are and how we can't dismiss this conversation. So uh, certainly there will be some legal steps that... Happen. And uh, as we hear those, we will cover them on SBC this week. But for now, we just have that the lawsuit has been filed.
0: Also, in the legal area, Amy, another lawsuit has been appealed. The lawsuit that we have discussed in the past uh, with Judge Pressler, uh, that was filed by Gerald Dwayne Rollins, has been appealed. And he has retained new counsel for that. He has attained the law firm of Baker Botts in Texas and, uh, they apparently have a specialty in filing litigation appeals. There's just yeah. an update on that. Nothing, nothing really new on no. that one except for there's the appeal.
1: Yeah, and all we know is this came through in a tweet that we saw from Robert Downen, who is an investigative reporter for the Houston Chronicle, really was the sort of the team leader for the project Abuse of Faith, the series we've covered on here. So it, there was just a screenshot that showed the beginning of that lawsuit. It's, it's important to note, you know, in times there have been several defendants that have been named. The defendants at this stage are Paul Pressler, Nancy Pressler, Paige Patterson, Jared Woodfill, the Woodfill Law Firm, and Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. So some of the defendants that have have been listed in the past are not listed on this appeal. And then three senior litigators from the Baker Botts Law Firm. So just... An interesting development. We don't have any commentary or even know quite what all of that means. It's yeah, just. Yeah, well, I checked the case files, updated. Amy,
0: and it, there's nothing but the notice of appearance. Okay. Uh, both from the Pressler side and from uh, the Rollins side. The uh, Pressler has retained uh, counsel as well. So, okay. We, we just wait and see. and yes. uh, Follow both of these as they play out in the legal system. All right. We have some stats from SBC 19, Amy, in Birmingham. Get this. We, we had our final registration count, 8183, which is fantastic.
1: Hey, there we go. Still not 10,000, but come on. Still folks. not 10,000. We're, we're getting I'm gonna, there. We're, next, I'm gonna year, next year. We push for every Just year.
0: Cool your yes. jets next year. Yes. Five digits. All digit. right. So 50 states all represented, plus DC, plus Puerto Rico, plus Guam. So 53 states, if you will, on hand. Plus, you know, people from Canada, Mexico. I'm sure that we had visitors, guests, whatever you may, from different countries as well. So absolutely, pretty cool.
1: That's First really time cool. First time in 20
0: years we've had yeah. somebody from every state.
1: At least 20 years. They, I think they at probably least. just went back 20, but they know it's been at least 20 years that they've had someone from every single state. So that's pretty cool. Let's we should make that happen again.
0: Yes, all Absolutely. 50 it should happen every year.
1: Yes, all, all 50, 50 states, states.
0: 10,000 people. It's the, the thing I want to see, though, Amy. Just over 7% of Southern Baptist churches, 3,428 of the 47,000 and change Southern Baptist churches, sent messengers to the meeting. So that's the number I would like to see increase. The church participation up to 5,000. I want to see 5,000
1: churches. I like that. All right. So so then we'll set our goals. 53 okay. states and territories and D.C. So let's yeah. go for 53. Somebody uh, from
0: the Marshall Islands can come too. Sure. Or Virgin 10- Islands.
1: 10,000, and I think we can go over that, but I'm pulling for 10,000, oh, yeah. and you're going to say 5,000 churches. Those are our I goals. I want
0: 5,000 churches. You got to set because goals. Because I think if you get your 5,000 churches, you'll easily get your 10,000 people. Yes,
1: I like it. Let's do the it.
0: Churches are a lead metric. The people are a lag metric.
1: I don't understand what that means, but okay.
0: It's kind of math, kind of marketing, but anyway, churches. That's and not, and that's not good ask.
1: since I work in marketing, but Yeah, I know. You know.
0: Yeah, I know. You know. Uh, but Churches participation. Somebody had asked me this on Twitter, and by the way, nailed it. Uh And I said oh, we probably had about seven percent. I figured we had about thirty five hundred churches. We have about fifty thousand. I just kind of ballparked it, and and boom, nailed it. Um, But that's the thing I want to see grow is the number of churches because not everybody can send you know ten twelve messengers. Not everybody qualifies for that, but we all qualify. If you're a member, you you qualify for at least two. So I'd like to see us send more. See more churches be active in the convention. And, uh, you know, I think that has grown the past couple of years. We've seen it grow. So, um, last year we had a, you know, big messenger count, a lot more churches as well, but it was the quote unquote presidential election year, which seems to draw more people. And, and we saw that last year. So, uh, you know, this is good for Birmingham. I think these numbers are fantastic.
1: I agree, and I am glad for that. So let's keep pushing for next year.
0: Uh, that brings us to something else that happened at the SBC annual meeting. It was a panel that you and I hosted with Ronnie Floyd, Paul Chitwood, and Kevin Izell. There's a story in Baptist Press this week about that panel, with a great picture of you. I, I need people to just look at that picture and give me captions for your facial expression. Oh goodness! And that, it kind of caught. It kind of caught it like kind of mid movement, I think. And and it's one of those just funny expressions that you have there. So, oh,
1: I can't wait.
0: Yes. So anyway, so if you want to take a look at that and suggest to us what Amy's thinking, put Thought Bubbles up there. That'd be great. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> but anyway, we're going to link to the article there. But we also, because of the great technology that we have, we have the audio of that interview. So here is our discussion with Ronnie Floyd, Kevin Zell, and Paul Chitwood. Today we have Dr. Ronnie Floyd, the President and CEO of the Executive Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. Dr. Paul Chitwood, the president of the International Mission Board, and Dr. Kevin Ezel who's the president of the North American Mission Board, we're going to talk to you today about 20 minutes about Vision SBC. So, kind of like the future of the Southern Baptist Convention. Dr. Chitwood, Dr. Floyd, both new leaders at their respective entities, and Dr. has been almost nine years at at Nam, and we're going to just kind of talk about where we're going from here in the Southern Baptist Convention, and. One of the things we talk about a lot, this is the CP stage, cooperative program, cooperation, something that is discussed a lot, uh, and I I think that maybe we're on the cusp of greater cooperation between all of our entities, maybe at a time that we haven't seen it in the last 30, 40 years. Uh, Could could each of you all speak to how your entity plays a part in cooperation within the SPC? Dr. Floyd, we can start with you.
2: Well, I believe it's very important that if we're really going to mobilize more people to reach the world for Christ and more resources to reach the world for Christ It is imperative we are conscientious of always what the vision is of taking the gospel to the nations, presenting the gospel to every person in the world, and making disciples of all the nations. And the key to this is what the North American Mission Board does with our churches what the International Mission Board does with our churches. And the more we can talk about that, the greater resources we're able to raise for the kingdom of God.
3: So the IMB understands that uh, we're the overseas missionary sending arm of Southern Baptist Convention of Churches. So we're, we're here to serve the churches, just like you know all of us are here to serve the churches, ultimately. And we're thankful that in the CP budget, you know, the, the stewardship uh, of, of what makes it, to Nashville, to the national level, uh, the majority of those funds come to the IMB. So uh, with with humility and gratitude, we serve alongside one another's SBC Entity Eds, but we feel a great stewardship uh, knowing how much Southern Baptists uh, and Southern Baptist Churches invest in that work. Uh, we champion cooperative missions. We try to lead by example. Uh, I've always been highly committed to CP giving when I was a pastor. Certainly as a state exec and now as the International Mission Board president, a member of a church that's a strong CP giving church. Because I really do think you know, leadership by example is, is key to this.
4: I think the key is for pastors to really engage. We have to show value, value add. I think we've got to tell our story better. We have so much value to share, but we've not done as good of a job as we could at marketing, letting the pastors know um, what that value is. Instead of just giving because you're supposed to give, uh, this generation of younger pastors especially want to know uh, why and what for. And that's why I could not be more excited about uh, Dr. Floyd and Dr. Chitwood uh, as we link arms together because, I mean, the reason that Southern Baptist or Southern Baptist is because of missions. And we have some incredible stories to tell. We just not told our story as well as we should have.
2: Yeah. And I want to say this, uh, if I could, that, that's one of the things I'm going to talk about tomorrow is that one of the roles of the executive committee, uh, we're going to identify it like this, telling and celebrating what God is doing. I think we've walked in our own stories way too much and we need to do a better job of telling and celebrating what God is doing around America, around the world, around the 47,000 plus churches through our entities, through our state conventions, but it all comes back to what the churches are doing and we need to be faithful to tell and to celebrate what the Lord is doing.
1: Now, Dr. Chilwood, you've seen this from a couple of different perspectives because you served at the state level for a, a long time. Now you are uh, at the national level, but then even looking to the world. How do you, when you're talking to churches, how do you encourage them? I mean, you know, we talked about telling stories, but how do you encourage them to invest in this when you know the whole structure so well?
3: Yeah, thank you for that question. I I believe that uh, simply informing, as as, as Kevin said, we don't do enough good enough job telling the story, but when I can stand before a congregation or speak to a pastor and say, you believe in James 127, and I know that, I know that because, for example, in Kentucky, you know, there there were uh, 1,100 kids that were being ministered to through their James 127 ministry, the Kentucky Baptist Homes for Children, Sunrise Children. Sir. You believe in church planting, and I would uh, share with them the number of churches that are being planted in Kentucky, the number of churches that are being planted uh, through the North American Mission Board, across North America. You, you believe in that. You value that. The church has been called to that. And here's how your church, regardless of the size, here's how your church is doing it through cooperative missions. Uh, I can point to the number of missionaries on the field, the number of people who are being reached. But uh, what I found is that you can just take You know, two minutes. Every time I rise to speak, I'll take about 90 to 120 seconds to tell the CP story by pointing to those very practical and real ways that this church is extending its ministry beyond the community, in their state, across the nation, and around the world. And I can see, uh, you know, eyes light up. There's attention given to that. And it gets back to us just telling the story uh, better than we've told it in the past.
0: Now. We're kind of at a crisis moment. This is something that came out about a month or so ago. We started realizing this, and both of your entities kind of talks to both of your entities. Uh, missionary positions that we don't have qualified people to fill yet, open spots, church planter, uh, you know, churches that need to be planted, we don't have qualified church planners. How do we address that? Is it a crisis moment, and how do we address it moving forward?
4: I believe it is uh, i mean we could plan 100 more churches tomorrow if i had 100 planners to do it uh, we don't need you to send us the least qualified and the guys who can't get a job we need high capacity leaders and that that's why right now our sustainability rate and uh, survivability rate in the church plants is very high um, because we're, we're we've raised our assessments but when we did that we knew when we raised the assessments then that fewer people would able, be able to meet those standards but, but they're in the churches, and we just got to have churches that are more intentional about raising up the next generation of missionaries and pastors. I mean, we need pastors in North America to pastor the existing churches that we have. That's one of the biggest challenges we have is in revitalization, not having people to fill some of these pulpits. So um, absolutely, I could plant 100 more churches tomorrow, but we are not going to sacrifice the quality of church plants just to succumb to an expectation of quantity just to meet numbers exactly
3: so imb missionary uh, you know the standards for appointment through the imb for missionary candidates are infamously high it's a high standard, but it goes back to what Kevin is referencing. We want to send out, you know, the, those who are best qualified. And there's so much involved in cross-cultural missions and planning your life overseas, the stresses, the difficulties of that. Uh, and, and, and we don't want a family to fail. We don't want an individual to fail, all the trauma that, that is associated with that. So it's, it's a very tight scrutiny that takes place in that appointment process. When I came into my role seven months ago, we had 82 uh, candidates in the long-term missionary appointment application process. Uh, now, that, that's staggering to me because when I was a trustee with the IMB, uh, 2002 to 2010, there was a time which we had a thousand candidates in the what we call the pipeline. So when I came into my role and said, there's 82, what is going on? Uh, but I think when we went through the downturn and the downsizing, what is known internally as the VRI—you know, the IMBs like acronym crazy—so uh, that's acronymish for you know some people had to take early retirement and come home. Uh, but when we went through that process, I think the message that got out is that the IMBs no longer sending people. Uh, but the IMB is sending people. We're sending more people today. We have, uh, uh, because of some of the corrective measures that were taken uh, over the last, you know, five to seven years, uh, we do have the opportunity to send more people to begin to rebuild that missionary force. So we're down about 2,000 from where we were. And you, you think about frontline missionaries going from 5,600, 5,700 down to 3,700. That is a tragedy. That's a travesty. Uh, but we're in the process of building back. And what we want to communicate clearly to the churches is you know, open for business, uh, send us your best uh, we, we, we have the opportunity uh, to place them around the world and we look forward to working with churches and seeing that happen all
1: right Dr. Floyd, how do you first of all in your role encourage pastors but also you for over thirty years you were a pastor that was sending a lot of people so from the the church standpoint, how do we become churches that are sending people out so that this is not happening?
2: It would have been a rare Sunday morning over the last two decades when I did not extend as part of my public invitation something like this. If God has been working on your heart to surrender your life to full-time Christian ministry to take the gospel across America and the world. You may not even know how you're gonna do that, but you just know God's got this special calling on your life or you wanna talk about it. We want you to come today. We need pastors, all 47,000 churches need to be making that call to the smallest of churches in the country, to some group they would have never thought because, hey, I came from a church running 30 to 40. Somebody was faithful. And so I think we just have to be more conscientious. Uh, I've heard the phrase, and perhaps I know these men have, obviously. Uh, we, We need to have a new emphasis of calling out the called. Across this convention, we need to challenge every pastor, challenge all of us when we're before hundreds or thousands of people speaking, who's here today. God is working on your life in a brand new way. That's
0: what we need. And that kind of ties into the next thing I want to ask you two about is uh, Gensend and GoTo uh, because their programs now. It's like we're, we're creating a farm system type program. So if you could just talk, uh, you know, Paul, we can start with you. Yeah, you, I'm, uh, I'm so
3: thankful for the go GoTo emphasis uh, of J.D. Greer. Not only does he have uh, the best biceps in SBC president history, uh, he, he's
0: also – Dr. Floyd, I mean – Well,
3: I mean, Dr. Floyd is, is a man among men. But you look at J.D. and those you know, T-shirts, it's like, wow. Uh, but he, he has brought us to the focus that we really do need in terms of uh, raising up the next gener- generation of Great Commission warriors, calling out the called, if you will. Uh, the IMB began their go-to program in 1965. It's called the Journeyman Program. And we've had more than 6,000 uh, young people go out for two years uh, through that Journeyman Program. We're still sending them out. Uh, we're thankful, uh, again, that J.D.'s calling uh, at the attention of the SBC back to this and uh, look forward to seeing those journeyman numbers uh, climb. And here's here's one of the stats that we don't miss at the IMB, and that is 20% of those who serve as journeymen through the IMB go on to become career missionaries through the IMB. Uh, and surely some of those journeymen go on to serve Career as career missionaries through other sending entities as well. But 20% of our force has come from that journeyman as that student uh, or post-student two-year
4: experience. Right. One of, the, one of the, the, the best things about GoTo is, especially in North America, when you have college students graduating um, maybe with an engineering degree, we want them to move to Pittsburgh, move to Philadelphia, move to L.A., get a job, uh, get a job. And come alongside one of our church planters and be a part of that church plan so we're not telling them to delay their career we're saying uh invest two years in a strategic way somewhere and it doesn't have to be necessarily a a major city but be strategic when you place yourself and you can do that internationally or nationally it's not about giving up everything and and going and be a planner it's about uh doing what you feel like god's called you if it's medicine be it medicine if it's law be law but just do it strategically. That's what every graduate and every SBC church could be strategically placed. And we have a way to do that now. And I'm grateful for the emphasis on, on go to. And Gensend is just our summer version of giving kids opportunities to get used to certain cities and how they can minister. And, again, they can minister – uh, uh, to some incredible needs, but also the world has come to North America. As Paul would tell you, I mean, the nations have come to our nation. And so it's a good chance for them to get a taste of international missions if that's something that they're wanting to do long-term by uh, ministering to, uh, you know, the Ethiopians. There's 300,000 Ethiopians in D.C., it's the second largest population um, of the Ethiopians is not in Ethiopia. Uh, and so uh, it's just great opportunities out there for, uh, for them to get involved at IMB and them.
1: All right, Dr. Floyd, without giving us too much of what's going to come in your report tomorrow, we don't want to give up, you know, before it's here. Can you share with us a little bit about the vision for the future of the EC, maybe a preview of tomorrow?
2: Well, I think, I think when you really look at it, one of the things that I, I really want to go back to is this whole element of telling and celebrating what God is doing. Uh, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about what it's going to take to help us create and establish a new culture within the Southern Baptist Convention. We need a life-giving culture in this convention. We need to cease being toxic. We need to choose the Christ path. And if we really want to excel and accelerate the gospel, that's what it's going to take. And and then if we will do that in the right way, I think the greater the culture within the family, within the family, the more we're going to be able to do what I'm going to do tomorrow, encourage us to prioritize, to elevate, and accelerate our giving through the cooperative program. And that's what I'm gonna call us to do ultimately, because here's what I know, to the level of our giving will be the extent of our ability to do our mission.
3: so so i i would add to that i'm thankful for ronnie's voice not just now that he's executive committee president but i'm thankful for that voice when he was convention president i'm thankful for that voice in a a local church as a pastor Uh, he's been in leadership roles the gcr and, and and ronnie's key role in that and you know here here's the way i'm putting it when I'm asked about the future of Southern maps Convention. When the Great Commission is not the lead topic of conversation in the Southern maps Convention, we're in trouble. That's right. Because the other topics that uh, tend to take, uh, take its place and crowd out talk with the Great Commission usually are divisive. Uh, they they, they sometimes hamper cooperative mission efforts instead of accelerate cooperative mission efforts. Uh, so I'm thankful to be here on the stage with brothers and to have other entity heads and other leaders in SBC today, including our SBC president, who, who believe that the Great Commission ought to be the lead topic of conversation in SBC. And the IMB wants to accept its responsibility in, in in setting that topic in front
0: of Southern Baptists, and we're committed to doing that.
3: And, uh,
0: real quick, talking about that how, and engaging churches to, to be more involved what are some just easy ways that regardless of the size of the church regardless of the location of a church that they can better engage with maybe just each your each of your own entities
4: sure we 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 try to put some real easy handles on it so any church anywhere can pray yeah. um they can pray for a city pray for a church planner, um and 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 We have thousands upon thousands of people who pray specifically for cities and get updates on cities. To pray, participate, and actually go. It's really easy in North America to go to some of these places and see missions. We found that younger generation likes to go, feel, and touch. So pray, participate, or provide. And that really comes back to where they're giving. Um, but we found that it works in that order. If they'll have a connection, they're much more likely to provide and give if they have a a tangible connection. So those easy handles are important.
3: Yeah, so I'll I'll echo that. For us, pray, give, go, send. And uh, at imb.org, you can find daily requests uh, for the nations.
0: You're tweeting that out. uh, I've been noticing that.
3: Yes, yes. Well, I want Southern Baptists to be praying more because the greatest resource for the Great Commission is not our money. Uh, it's, it's not even – we talk about people being a greatest resource. The greatest resource is the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah. And to call upon the Holy Spirit of God to, to use us uh, in providing for – uh and 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 going uh, so uh, th- to to get the emphasis on prayer at the imb in fact we just moved the uh the prayer office at the imb back into the office of president so you know it it, it will uh, be a part of everything that we're doing as an organization we're uh, we're thankful to to be championing that uh among southern baptists so the the prayers uh, uh giving obviously cooperative program Uh, We have uh, Annie, Lottie, state missions offerings. Those offerings make an impact uh, in in tremendous ways and very direct ways. Uh, And so, but then uh, going, uh, we're going to be releasing a study with Barna uh, at the first of the year uh, that that tells what we've kind of known intuitively, uh, but it's, uh, research is data that's going to give evidence to the impact that going on a missions trip makes in the life of an individual, in their giving, and in their praying. Uh, the, the the change that that being a part of of uh, that knowing a missionary, meeting a missionary makes. So pray, give, go, and send.
0: Yeah, Dr. Floyd, real quick.
3: Well, I
2: would say that I'm learning a lot uh, in doing this, but I think the greatest thing I can do is to champion reaching America and the world for Christ, and moving as many resources as possible, including the power of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit, getting our people to call out to God and to really pursue. Let's do the best we can to, to literally fulfill the Great Commission in our generation.
1: All right. That was a great conversation. I'm glad we were able to play it again here. And maybe one day we'll get to sit down with them again and uh, hear after another year or so uh, how things are going.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So two of the three are brand new at their entities. And, uh, you know, Dr. Ezel been, to, been at Nam almost 10 years. Can you believe that? That's
1: almost amazing. Almost 10
0: years. It's it just like flown by. I'm sure it's felt a little bit longer to him probably. But for us, it's just kind of flown by. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting times at NAM, IMB, and the executive committee. So, uh, thanks to those guys for sitting down with us at the ex- annual meeting and, uh, glad to have that discussion. That's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week. This week in SBC history, Amy, blow our minds.
1: So I found another sort of post annual meeting release. This was in 1952. And if you go to the, end of this Baptist Press issue, there's a cool story that talks about suggestions coming in for a Houston convention. So remember, you have to remember 1952 is in a time where obviously there's no social media, there's no blogs, there's no website where you can make suggestions, no way to really just easily get in touch with people. So Porter Routh, Executive Secretary of the Executive Committee, had, uh, I guess, opened things up for people to have suggestions to pass on to the Committee on Order of Business. So they published them in Baptist Press, suggestions that people had for the next year. Now they're very clear they had neither been considered nor approved by the EC, but were forwarded on to the Committee on Order of Business only for information and further consideration. But they give four different suggestions here um that people had, and I just think it's interesting. it tells you sort of what they were what they were doing at that time, and then also the things that mattered to people, so one yeah, was this
0: tells you what was in their crawl
1: right. one said, "Why not close the program on Saturday noon?" So hey, all you folks who think, "My goodness, why does this go until five o'clock on Wednesday? These people are like they're going all week." You could have a big evangelistic service on Friday night if you wanted, and plan to close everything out Saturday noon. There would always be plenty of pastors left to fill the pulpits of local churches on Sunday morning. But those who wanted to could be home to preach in their own pulpits on Sunday. So I think this Makes is they were uh, they were trying to back it up. All right, then why not have this is interesting? Why not have the mornings devoted entirely to business? Reserve the afternoons for committee meetings, sightseeing, and resting and have the great inspirational hours at night. This would encourage messengers to attend all of the sessions which are scheduled and would leave some time free. Preach. Preach. Uh, Why not put an adjournment hour on the night programs and then stick to it? The preliminaries should be shorter or the introductory section made more brief so that the main speaker would have more time if there is a main speaker and yet not have to keep the crowd up most of the night.
0: You know, one of my pet peeves is people that introduce speakers that... And just, they speak. Like, they, they, they speak, speak themselves. Right,
1: right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, uh,
0: hey, number well, three, I'm, I'm on board with this one, too. Yeah,
1: well, you're not alone. In 1952, they were saying the I, same thing. And the last one was give more time to reports with recommendations so the messengers would not feel they were taking the time of the next speaker if they asked a question. So this is saying if there are reports... That are going to have something the messengers have to vote on. They want more time so they can talk about it. A large democratic body like the Southern Baptist Convention can function at its best only when sufficient time is given to hear all sides of the question at hand. And a decision can be made on the basis of facts rather than impassioned appeals. So
0: That sounds familiar.
1: Very articulate. Uh, thing. Someone really knows their, their stuff. And it, then it said any further suggestions for the program should be sent to Reverend A. B. Vanarsdale,
0: Van from college
1: uh, from College Avenue Baptist Church in Fort Worth, which I think there. This was a clear message. It looks to me like Porter Ralph had been getting these, uh, had received these, and was ready to say, "Why don't you send the rest of them straight to the send those to In order of business? Yeah. He'll so it. Uh, these are not bad ideas. No, these they're
0: are, not. The, none of these are hairbrained, crazy, ridiculous. These are legitimate, and I. I applaud all four of them.
1: Yes. So, but it's interesting to hear how in 1952 how they were thinking about things. So, yeah,
0: I would I would have much of the same commentary.
1: Yes. Although I'm sure you're not advocating right now for closing the program on Saturday noon. Heck yeah, that would let's be, go. It'll be week. quite let's an extension. Yes. Well, let's if make it happen. If I think if we were going to do number one and go until Saturday noon, then we have to advocate for number two where the yeah. afternoons are free two, three, for cycling. All and resting. totally makes sense. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All so, right. So, I,
1: this is fantastic. Yeah. So just like we do, we have kind of these debriefings and people put their suggestions out on Twitter and things like that. They were doing it that way in 1952, just sending their suggestions through the mail, and they were all talking about it this week in SBC history.
0: I mean, think about a week-long SBC annual meeting. It's like adult spring break.
1: Well, you know I would love that. I
0: know, and so would I. That's the sad thing. We're Everybody at home listening to this going,
1: no! I don't think we would get 10,000 if we <laughs> expanded that. No,
0: no. <laughs> Come
1: on, we could vacation a, together. All 10,000 of have a mob us. outside,
0: our, outside yes. our room or something. Yes. Golly, they'd be so mad at us. All right, that's fantastic, Amy. All right, so all right, those are great, Amy. That brings us to our resources of the week. Your resource of the week
1: is? It's the Declaration of Independence. I would, like okay. I would like to post a link to it. Okay. I would like to post a link to it and encourage everyone to... Check it out this week and read it aloud next Thursday. Yep, to your family. Um, at the very least, give it a look because yeah. it is a great, great document.
0: Send us pictures and video of you doing that at, at home and we'll, we may send you a free book. I got some books over here. Yeah, that I need so to get that's up, so. my resource. All right, very cool. My resource of the week uh, because it's you know LifeWay Presidential Election Possibility Meeting Time is a interview that you did with Brad Wagner at the oh, annual yeah. meeting. Um we can't really squeeze that in it won't really fit because there's so much transition into the uh, the podcast. So we'll put a link to that as well as the report and the video that was in the LifeWay report. I think that was a very very important uh, explanation and simple explanation of the challenges that LifeWay retail stores had faced. So we'll put those two links in the podcast. You can check both of those out. It's either the Lifeway Newsroom or Facts and Trends, one of those two. They've got them. So we'll put those links in, and you can check those out as uh, things at Lifeway are possibly a change in, Amy.
1: There you go. Well, I hope it's a great day for all of you. I'm excited.
0: Yes. I really am. Uh, we are looking forward to this, and we are really excited here in the building. So i uh, been waiting on this for almost 10 months now. The end of the openings in That's the right. SBC.
1: Last one so. for a
0: while. Last one for a while. So we'll have to wait and see what the next one will be. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Have a great 4th of July. Check out Capital 4th, John Stamos and company and uh, watch along with Amy and I. We may tweet from the account on that, but follow us on Friday, Lifeway vote down in Atlanta and we'll see you next week.
1: See you next week.